0: I fell asleep while editing last night, which is kind of funny. I guess I should start editing earlier. Not that you needed to know that, but anyway, um, so that is why this episode is out a little later. Than I was hoping it would be. But it's going to be a really, really, really good show today. Uh, I have two guests on. Uh, Ramela Gary, who talks about her new film, Atonement, which she wrote and directed. Her her day, feature-length debut uh, as writer-director. Uh, and also actress Casey Roll, uh, who talks about the new film, White lie in which he plays a college student who is faking cancer. Most people probably remember uh, Romila Gary from her role in the award-winning and Oscar-nominated film Atonement where she played the teenage Brian E. And sister to Kira Knightley. But that's not all she has done. Uh, she has also appeared in Nicholas Nickleby. Scoop with Scarlett Johansson and Hugh Jackman. An adaptation of As You Like It. Last Days on Mars, opposite Liev Schreiber. Glorious 39, opposite Eddie Redmayne and Juno Temple. Also featuring Bill Nye, David Tennant, Jeremy Northam, Charlie Cox, Christopher Lee. Julie Christie, Jenny Agutter, and Corin Redgrave. As well, she has appeared in One Day, opposite Anne Hathaway, Jim Sturgis, Patricia Clarkson, and current Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker. In several series, including Born to Kill, The Hour, The Crimson Petal and The White, and an adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma, in which she starred opposite Michael Gambon and Johnny Lee Miller. She can also be seen in the upcoming Miss Marks, as well as The Windmere Children. Like many people who got their start in front of the camera, she has turned her sensibilities to writing and directing. In 2012, she wrote and directed the short film Scrubber, and earlier this year, her debut feature, the great horror film Amulet, Starring Carla Jury, Alec Secaranu, and Imelda Staunton, was released at Sundance. It's a bold debut, and I spoke to Romula Gary about it last week. Here is me with Romula Gary. You, uh, you holding up okay in these times?
1: Yes, yeah, just about, you know, sort of crawling towards the summer break, which has not come a day too soon.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, it's starting to turn around here a little bit, I guess, and especially in Canada. I don't know about how you feel in the UK, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the... the infection rate has gone right down so now people are kind of going out and about a bit more and going on holiday and and all of that kind of normal stuff um with all of us just hoping that it you know doesn't come back
0: (laughs) well you know this would be a a great time to get out and see a movie such as amulet Um, yeah not (laughs) i know um i just had a chance to watch it you know Horror I think horror films are always a trope always a rite of passage for an actor um actors always starting out do horror films what attracted you to the horror genre as a director as a storyteller
1: Well um I think there are sort of a couple of different things I mean I I I grew up loving horror films um and then when I became an actor I didn't work in that genre at all and so I, I guess my kind of creative association with it kind of fell away, not because I didn't love horror films and had the opportunity to work on them as an actor had come up. I I would have. Um, and the, so when I started writing, I think my writing was kind of an extension of the work that I'd done as an actor. So it was a lot of dramatic stuff and my short film was a drama. And then when I came to writing screenplays I had one idea which was for a a ghost story that got I I went you know had a little bit of development with that so it wasn't a horror but it was more of a genre kind of crossover piece and then then a whole ranch of kind of particularly women you know started to come through in the horror genre and I think that really kind of cemented the idea in my head that that was something I should at least think about Um, because um, you know and I can't speak for uh, Canada, but in the UK, it's much more possible to at least get into rooms and start conversations with people about projects when you're talking about a small budget with a genre film and a first-time director. Um, and so the idea that I had for a horror film, I just found it much that those conversations happened much quicker. It's much, It was much easier. So it was a combination of the fact that people are very open to first-time filmmakers in in the genre the sort of zeitgeist thing that was happening with women coming through. And then also me, kind of, I suppose, you know, just becoming more experienced as a writer and realizing I could do a greater variety of different things.
0: What do you think your, your background as an actor has taught you as a director and what has directing taught you about acting?
1: Oh my God, so much. (laughs) Um, I don't think that they are, uh, I, I don't think that they're a good progression to and from each other. I think they're very different jobs, and I don't. I think people often use that word: you progress from being an actor to a director, but there is no natural progression there. They're completely different jobs, and you know, I, I, I these days, I think about it. Mm, more helpfully to think about you know it's like a a family actors are like children on the set I mean in every way you know they get to play they live in an imaginative space they have no responsibility they have to be collaborative but they take notice and the director is a is a parent you know and so it's a very very different role with a very different dynamics I mean obviously different skills but um but just the dynamic is so is so different you're so much more isolated as a director you know I would say like very simply I think that being a director has taught me that acting is important I think I'd got to the stage of being an actor where I thought this is a waste of time what a stupid thing to be doing with your life you know and when you've directed a bit I think you think you realize that like the film is nothing, nothing until you have people walking around and and talking and their dedication to it and their commitment to it matters. You know, it's important. Um, It's not meaningless. Um, And then I think, you know, in, in the reverse, I I think that it will make me, it's made me a better director that I understand hopefully a bit about, um, about what, the the difficulties of acting and the complexities of it. And hopefully, I like to think I was able to approach my actors with a lot of respect for what they do and didn't try to micromanage them and kind of treated them like an equal as much as I could and collaborated with them. And and that of course came from having been an actor.
0: How involved were you in in the other aspects of the film? Because one thing that stood out for me uh, was the score um, that really stood out, especially the opening song where it's like that creepy opera song, um, and then also some of the effects that, that we saw with, with the creature uh, and the mother. How, how much did you involve yourself in those aspects of the film?
1: Well, I like to think I was, I was heavily involved. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, it was interesting because visual effects and composition were two areas that you have absolutely nothing to do with at all when you're either writing or acting. So, you know, I was entering into both of those spaces very much as, you know, the person in the room who who was asking for things and had no idea how, to achieve, how they were achieved. Um, so my sort of technical knowledge was very limited, but, you know, with Sarah i i came to her and i said i wanted a lot of female voice in it i mean originally i'd said i would like it to be a choir of an old woman a middle-aged woman and a young girl singing together and only that and nothing else just sound design and and female voice and whilst it isn't only that it is that was the sort of starting play i mean you know because of the genre of the film we ended up having to you know create more in terms of sound and filling otherwise it just felt very empty a lot of the time but but that was the starting point for those conversations and you know you just throw these things out there and say go away and do something with that and then with the visual effects it was very similar you know I went and I met with them and I just showed them my images you know and I said I wanted to look something like this and also a bit like a bit like this and we You know, we had actually amazing conversations with the visual effects, which, you know, was something that I... You know, was a bit nervous about because I I had I predominantly wanted to work with special effects and with practical effects, and I didn't really want a lot of visual effects in it. I think I have a prejudice against it, and so I I don't know why I thought that I didn't think that those would be creative conversations, but they were incredibly creative conversations. And also, it was amazing because there was an all male team. The visual effects department was the only kind of all male team that we had, and I was going into the room going, I wanted to put, look like a big vagina, you know, and like, he has to crawl inside it. And they were all like, that's so interesting. And, you know, it was was great. It felt very kind of um, collaborative in a really good way.
0: You know, on on your point about maybe having a slight aversion to visual effects, I did notice that, you know, it's a horror film, but there's not a a ton of gore. It's much more kind of creepy and, and sinister. How early on did you did you find that tone and, and and find the pacing, and how much did you work with your editor on that?
1: It wasn't easy you know i I definitely think that. The split time frame is always, that's always difficult in film. It seemed much easier on the page than it was when when we came to edit it. And the the rod that I made my own back slightly was that because I had implanted the flashbacks, which I thought was very clever originally I'd made the flashbacks dreams. I thought, well, that's great because they're, you know, embedded in the story at these sort of specific points, but actually it meant that we couldn't really move them, you know, or it was harder to kind of shift them around. And when you're, when you're going on two narrative journeys simultaneously, you know, that's difficult. And there isn't a lot of precedent for that in the horror genre. So, you know, pacing was an issue because pacing is a huge part of horror films. I think had this film been a straight drama, if you change the third act entirely, I don't think... I would be having so many conversations about pacing now because people would accept a slower right, build. Right. But because it essentially is a sort of drama with the exception of the bat brat, you know, at the end of the first act until the third act, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was easy. And, you know, we did go kind of back and forth about it. But, you know, I think I just have a, I have a very high tolerance for slow films. So, you know, it's just, it becomes an extension of your own kind of, your own taste really.
0: Uh, another aspect that I we see quite a lot in horror films is the religious allegory, specifically Catholicism. And there's a lot of horror films out there with sort of sinister nuns, I guess, a little bit. Um, what what works, um, like, why does that trope, do you think, work for for a horror film?
1: Well, I mean, I suppose, you know, in a very broad way, you know, religion is a very kind of, Raw and elemental and essential part of the human condition, you know. So, in the way that I feel like horror just goes to the core of you, you know, your primal fears, you know, your fears of sharks or of, you know, your mother or, you know, to those kinds of primal fears. And I think religion is a very primal part of, of human beings. You know, in terms of this film, I think because the film, in I suppose, you know, it's a very sort of simplistic. Um, interpretation of it, but it's a sort of argument between uh, the Christian, uh, you know, forgiveness ideal, you know, of kind of limitless forgiveness that was kind of invented by Christianity, or a kind of earlier idea that forgiveness can be offered and, and given, but only to those who've earned it somehow, you know, and it's a kind of, you know, argument between those two different kind of ideas.
0: Tomás is is a bit of an outsider and you've spoken about the, the benefits of sort of being, living on, on the outside. Um, as, as a creative person, what what is sort of being an outsider and having a, a more observational outlook uh, enhance your storytelling? Um, oh, that's a
1: very good question. I think, I think it would, um, I think wait, the difficulty is that I have been an actor you know and there are there are actors who are observational in the best sense of the word um but i'm not sure that i am or was i think i tended to draw predominantly on my own emotions you know sort of be a kind of, sort of egocentric in that in that way and so i think that the process of becoming a writer has been a shift for me in terms of you know yeah accepting a more sort of outsider sort of status um and and i think that the film in a way is sort of part of a kind of tradition of a, a outsider art in a in a way or outsider horror films in that it isn't really attempting to kind of fit into one sort of specific kind of horror too neatly and i think maybe that comes from the fact that i have also been in a period of transition in my life you know moving from one art form into another and um, yeah and not and not being afraid to kind of sort of float between spaces and not kind of inhabit one space entirely
0: i'm curious about the cast because three of the four leads are non-british um i think alex romanian Carlos swiss and angelica's uh greek um how did you go about about casting this and assembling such an international cast
1: well um when we started casting i i, I had written the part for Imelda with Imelda in mind. So we went out to her and I thought, well, you know, she's just gonna say no, and then we'll work down a list of <laughs> other people. But she said yes, um, which was amazing. So that was kind of, that was that. And then in terms of the other roles, I, I knew that I wanted Thomas to be from another country because I thought it was important that he didn't know anyone and wasn't from the place that he it was in. He was in, entirely isolated. But to be honest, I didn't, say to the casting director that he had to be any kind of particular nationality but i would you know and, and actually we were even open to the idea of having a british actor who was doing an accent you know so we weren't having a conversation that kind of centered around actors from particular places really i just you know he was one of the very first people that they said um you know, do you know this guy? And I, of course, I did because of God's Own Country, which was an amazing film, and uh, I thought he would be really good because you know he's incredibly sympathetic. So it was really just entirely about about him, really. And then Carla again, I didn't. Um, you know, I, I there were British actresses that I, I, you know, were that were on the list, but I, th- again, I, I think I was concerned that if Alec was from another country and she wasn't, then it was a film about a refugee. He kind of got his comeuppance. But I did think at a certain point, if they're both from other countries, if they're both refugees, then that kind of, you know, balances out the story, you know? Um, but also again, you know, had had I seen an actress who was from the UK, who I, you know, who had felt had the kind of intelligence and wit and brilliance. I mean, Carla is just such a brilliant, brilliant actress. I'm so lucky to have her. Um, I don't think her nationality was a kind of essential part of it. In genuinely, all of the actors were just the actors that I really, really wanted. I'd always been a huge fan of Angeliki. Dogtooth is one of my favorite films, you know. And then, of course, you get these people that you really worship and think are amazing to work with you. And then you put them through hell because you had to come to Dartmoor in the middle of December and work in a rainy field for four days. So you sort of think like, I must remember not to put people who I really admire through like terrible experiences that they're going to regret.
0: Um, and you, you mentioned that you wrote the part of Sister Claire for Imelda, which I think is a great choice because she's very good at sort of those nice characters with, this, with the level of sinister underneath. You know, very, like there was a lot of um, Dolores Umbridge, I think, in, in, in Sister Claire. Um, but what was it specifically about her? Why did you think that she, she was going to be the, the great choice for this role?
1: I just think she's one of the greatest actresses of her generation it, it working in the uk i saw her she was on stage in the uk in this play called who's afraid of virginia wolf like not that long around about the time that we were filming and you know so i saw her on stage and she just ripped it up you know she's just amazing and um she can do anything she can do she's incredibly funny you know and i I knew that I wanted the part to be funny, you know, part, the film is sort of supposed to be darkly comic in moments, you know, and I knew that she'd be able to do that. Um, she's incredibly smart. Not all that, <laughs> not actors that does, oh, you know, she's really bright. I was, I knew that I'd be able to kind of talk about, uh, the sort of slightly odd things that I wanted to do or say with the film and that she would, you know, com- completely be on board with that. And, and, And she's just she's just very game as well, apart from being brilliant. You know, it's not it's not a straightforward film. It's not for everybody, you know, and I knew that she would just be up for trying some crazy stuff, which she did and was amazing.
0: She she talks a lot about how, you know, how this is his destiny. This is what he's meant to do. And it brings up the debate about destiny versus choice. is it one or the other? Can can we have a choice, but also have a destiny as well? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's it's not settled. You know, it's not settled in my mind. And I think you know, had it been settled in my mind, I maybe wouldn't have chosen to make this film. I think um, I'm not sure. I think I sometimes I think that you know everything that you. Uh, do in your life is predestined by your genetics and your upbringing and other times I think you know every moment is filled with limitless possibility and I suppose I think what's interesting when you talk about the sort of dynamics between men and women you know is that you know where, where you're constantly trying to reset the dynamic every ten years. You know what I mean? Like that you have to think: is it ever changing, or is it always staying the same, or is it different incarnations of the same relationship always? And I think that that was that was kind of part of what I was trying to kind of get to the bottom of. I think is whether or not change is is possible or not. And I I didn't get to the bottom of it. So.
0: Uh, I, and I know you, you are still acting as well. Um, you've got an intriguing project coming up. That's about Dylan Thomas, right? Last Call?
1: Yeah, that, actually I filmed that uh, quite a long time ago. It was about three years ago. So it's, it's, it's coming out now, but it was filmed a, a while ago.
0: Um, do, you, do, you like, do you think you'll ever direct something that you're, that you're also acting in? Are or you, are you gonna be one of those people that likes to keep the two art forms separate?
1: I mean, if I'm honest, as far as I can see, mostly people do that when they are financially valuable to the project. I don't know why anyone would choose to do it. You know, it's just so hard. Like directing is is so hard, um, and to do it well is so um, requires so much of you. You know, I I don't I can't imagine ever doing it myself, in, unless your involvement as an actor made the project
0: bankable. Right. You know? Um, and I I know that you not only did you have an international childhood, but you like to travel a lot. I'm just curious, how do you think your your world adventures have shaped you as an artist? Is travel shaped
1: me as an artist. Um well, I mean, I don't know if I could say that like the traveling I've done as an adult has shaped me very much, but definitely growing up in a foreign country, I think, shapes you. Um I think, you know we were expats until i was six or seven uh and so i went through i mean a lot of british writers kind of were born in other countries you know and came back to england and they experienced the kind of um discrepancy between the uk as it exists in the kind of consciousness and then the way the country actually is you know it's a country with a big persona and so i I think that on a very small scale my experience mirrored that that a lot of british writers through history have had where they come come back to a country in a kind of formative stage that they don't know and don't recognize because it's not snowy christmases and warm charles dickens characters you know it's a damp and cold country it's you know a cold country in a lot of ways emotionally as well as um you know in its landscape and and i think that that can at an early stage you know be quite um influential some somehow yeah
0: uh, you mentioned you were a, f- a fan of horror what is your favorite one or two horror films
1: very difficult to say i oh um Okay, well, I one of my favorite films of all time is Dead Ringers. Cronenberg. Am I allowed that as a horror film?
0: Yeah, I mean. It, <laughs> yeah, good. Because I it, mean,
1: it's not gory or like you know.
0: Right, but I mean, no, it's it's more along the line of of Amulet. You know, it's it's more sinister, creepy than than full out gore, right? But,
1: yeah, but that's yeah. that's one. Of, I mean, that's one of my top five favorites. I always say that film. I think it's a total masterpiece. It always makes me cry and cry and cry. I don't know why. It just like unleashes something in me. It's so sad. And so I think it's just astonishingly brilliant. So I would say that. Um, And then I would probably say Possession. Um, The Zalowski film where like uh, Isabella Jani and Sam Neill go completely mad in (laughs) Berlin and it's about divorce. And um, then, um, yeah she has sex with a giant monster at the end. <laughs> I, I suppose I like I like films that kind of veer into horror. and But then, you know, also, I mean, I could equally say The Shining or Rosemary's Baby, or I could say Basket Case, or I could say other films that I really love. But I think I just have a particular fascination, obsession, really, with the films that kind of like, Tilt out of drama into horror and then back again because for me that feels even more destabilizing than a film where you the lights go down and you the credits go up and you just know what film you're watching from the off. I mean, I, I really loved Hereditary because I think for a lot of the film I was thinking, but this is just a family going through crisis and then you know it, it kind of, sort of veers into horror at the end. I'm I, I, I really like that kind of instability.
0: Well, uh, your film is Amulet uh, and then I believe is out on uh, streaming now, isn't it? I think it comes out The,
1: the 24th, so Friday, yeah.
0: Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I encourage all the listeners uh, to go and see it. Romola Gary, thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Nice to meet you. Have
0: a good day. Cheers. Bye. My conversation with Romola Gary. Her new film, Amulet, is out now. From the UK, we switch over to my home country of Canada, and I get a chance to chat with another Vancouver actress. As you might have heard in my interview last week with Magda Apanovitz, if you're an actor growing up in Vancouver, you do a lot of television, you do a lot of sci-fi fantasy, or CW, and my guest today is no exception she has appeared on such series as v caprica fringe tower prep geek charming supernatural the haunting hour cracked motive the x files i zombie once upon a time the good doctor as well as reoccurring or regular roles on the Killing, Hannibal, Wayward Pines, Arrow, Fortunate Son, and The Magicians. She has also appeared in such TV movies as The Client List, Ghost Storm, Geek Charming. Taken Back, and My Sweet Audrina. She is the lead in the new film, White Lie, in which she plays a college student who is faking cancer for her own personal gain. This is my conversation with Casey Roll. How's, uh, how's the quarantine treating you?
2: You know, not bad, not bad, all things considered. How about you?
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, in Toronto for work, but you know, it's it's been all right. Just been doing a lot of writing, doing a lot of creative stuff in my parents' house, which is not ideal, but it yeah. is what it is, I suppose, right?
2: Yeah, you gotta make the best of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and you, you have a lovely new film out, White Lie. Yes, thank you. Uh, I, I know you sh- uh, were shot a couple years ago. Uh, I see the hairs come back in nicely.
2: Yes, she grew back. Thank goodness.
0: How, how was it shaving your head for a role? I know that can always be, uh, and not an issue for actors, but it, it can, there can always be a discussion.
2: Yeah, there, there just wasn't with me. It was just a no brainer. Um, I think, you know, and also my reps were like really calm about it. I thought they were going to be like, no, 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 this is not, you need to keep that princess hair. But, um, but they were really chill. And also it said, you know, when I auditioned for the part, it said in the breakdown that the shaving was (laughs) non-negotiable. Um, so I knew what I was getting myself into and I'd always wanted to do it. You know, I'd like, Mm -hmm. like I Jane, (laughs) like Ripley fantasy (laughs) forever.
0: How was it for you the the first time you saw saw yourself with a shaved head?
2: I think it just felt really good. Like, the act of doing it was profoundly liberating. Like, I can't quite, I haven't still, you know, however long it is, a year and a half, almost two years later, um, I still can't find the actual words for how awesome it was. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, every now and then I'd be like, I would catch myself in the mirror. I'd be like, "Oh wow, I'm very, I'm very bald." Um, <laughs> but it wasn't. I think I was just so grateful that it was a choice for me too. Like any, right. yeah, I was, I was a, able to be amused by it because I had been able to choose to do it. You
0: know, um, your your character Katie is, is faking cancer, um, and we that's established early on. And it's interesting because. Not too long ago, there was a, a couple of cases that were, were known about about college girls faking cancer. I even think one here in, in, in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. Did you did you use any of any of those real life stories in in, in Katie's construction?
2: No, I didn't. Um, I I didn't. That's not the way in that I wanted to use because you know I I didn't feel like I could you know call up those women to go have coffee with them. That didn't feel right to me. Um, and then any any sort of coverage of those stories was exactly that, coverage, not um, not the internal process of what was going on. So uh, no, I avoided those stories as, as best I could. I didn't look at the news around things like this at all. I tried to work from the inside out.
0: Um. And an interesting aspect of this film is it was, there was a directing team um, of Yona and Calvin. What was it like as an actor for you working with two directors?
2: I think, I mean, I had some anxiety going in just because I really, I didn't know how they worked. I'd never never witnessed them work before. And so I was like, I don't know if it's gonna be like too many cooks or like who's gonna give me this or whatever, and immediately upon meeting with them the first day we rehearsed um all of any anxieties i had were put to bed they're just they're one being like they're they're two men but they they work as one you know if one's talking to camera the other's coming giving me direction and sometimes they'll switch and and they have this like language of their own where they really they just they get the vision they have the same vision there's no quibbling not that i could see at least you know so yeah I thought it was amazing it was great
0: uh one of the opening scenes features you uh in a dance class um and it can always be tricky for actors to to, to mix mediums um what, what was that like for you that aspect of the character having her be a dancer
2: i think um yeah it was it was a great way in for me i'm a, a physical person and i danced a little bit growing up like i really don't want to call myself a dancer um maybe I have in the past but I'm gonna just rescind that um yeah so I I sort of um knew that world a little bit and had friends that were dancers so it sort of glimpsed that lifestyle and um and for me it was just really helpful that she was a physical person so a lot of my prep became about um yeah, just being as physical as I could, and and manifesting the exhaustion of carrying the big lie that she was carrying in the body. Um, yeah, which was super a great way in for me. So grateful.
0: <laughs> um, and yes, something quite cool happened. You have Martin Donovan uh, play your father. Uh, yeah. I think he's a sorely underrated actor. Um, but he's so, he's so brilliant. What was it like going toe to toe with him?
2: Oh man, um, well, I was like, I was just such a fan of him. So it was um, really exciting. And I think it was one of those beautiful experiences with an actor that, um, that happens very rarely, but it's so wonderful where you just like are in the space and everything becomes gravy. like just for whatever reason, there's that particular type of chemistry. Nobody has to fight to access things. It's just like butter. Um, And he came in and was so brilliant that he made my job so easy. He's just such an incredible person to partner with. I'm beyond grateful he chose to do the film and uh, that experience of that, we had one scene, but that experience was, just incredible. It was really, it fed me, and that was a really uh, a challenging day. Just physically being on set, it was so cold, and we had to shave my head four times. Um, but you know, being buoyed by that exciting actor chemistry was was the best. He's the best. <laughs> um, you,
0: you know what? He, in terms of getting in, into the character, when you're playing somebody who's very Manipulative, very deceitful, but who we also try to sympathize with. Um, how do you approach as what her motivations are like and, and, and what she wants?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, intellectually I understood that uh, what she wants, what all of us want really, is uh, love. Um, and some of us go about it in ways that make sense and some of us go about it in ways that uh, don't or harmful or hurtful or whatever um so i think oh there goes my train of thought i lost it remind me the question again so i can get back on track
0: oh um yeah the the, the motivation behind a character who's deceitful and, and yeah. manipulative
2: okay thank you so um yeah i think my big goal uh, like i I don't think it was really my job to hold that. I, I hope that people, uh, are on her side. Like in, in some respect, I think that just came up, came through because Katie wanted people to be on her side. So maybe that was the relatable part, but I think, um, you know, I never, I I didn't want her to become too Machiavellian or like that. Just didn't, she couldn't even really be, uh, conscious if that makes sense like she she obviously knows what she's doing but it's not like if somebody hits her with like i I thought your doctor's appointment was on tuesday or whatever it's not like her brain is going oh no i've been caught in a lie i better grab something immediately it's there's not even it's just compulsive it's just flying out of her mouth um but for me a big part of my process was just sort of like shutting down my brain as much as I could. <laughs> like not letting those cogs, uh, not be a, being aware of how fast those cogs were spinning and just just do, just run towards them. And, um, and yeah, uh, knowing that the fear of being caught was somewhere behind her, chasing her, but not having that be right here all the time. Like she's lived with this so, so long, so she's just sort of like, you know, yeah. hamster wheeling
0: you're in virtually uh every scene uh every frame of the movie i think for maybe a couple um and even as a leading actor that's rare um what was that like for you knowing that this movie was yours
2: uh it scared the shit out of me uh if i'm being honest um i think you know when it when i first read it i was or I guess it came around once and we didn't, we didn't, anyway, but but the second time it came around, I was like, this is actually so terrifying to me because, uh, you know, half of my brain was like, there's no way you can pull this off. Like, absolutely not. This is bananas. Um, And the other half of my brain was like, well, that's why you have to do it. Um, So I think, Uh, I think it was good that I was in so much of it. I was in all day, every day, um, because it didn't give me time to think about that. You know, like I, I kind of just had to do my job and, um, and trust Calvin and Yona to guide me in the right directions and trust them and Lev and the edit to make it all work and, and just, just do my thing. And, um, I think I did feel profoundly trusted by them um and that that really helped
0: um the movie was obviously shot in Canada but what was it like being in a story that's actually set in Canada and sort of in the region where it was being filmed
2: I love it you know like I think I think Canada has done a lot of time doubling for various other places I think we're really good at it (laughs) I think you know it things get shot here um for that reason but um I just think it was great you know and I I think it gave us an opportunity to really showcase um how yeah I hesitate to use the word gritty but um what what a space like Hamilton can be, the stories that Hamilton can hold, um, and that Canada can hold. You know, particularly in in Anglo Canadian film, I think we're really starting to find our our feet in terms of um, storytelling and representing um, Anglo Canada. And I I was just really exciting to me. Um, yeah, and I, I was really uh, happy to be to be representing country that is so full of stories that we don't, um, for whatever reason,
0: Did you have to explain to Martin what OHIP was? Yes.
2: <laughs> Although, yeah, I mean, he, he is, I, I think he's dual. But yeah, he was like, what is this OHIP? What is this? <laughs> and I, I think I maybe peripherally knew, because I'm not from Ontario, um, so I, but I lived there a bit as a kid, so I was like, I, th- I think it's Ontario Healthcare. I think. I'm sure it is, but I don't yeah. know if it's OHIP or OHIP or whatever, but uh, but we got it. We got it. <laughs>
0: um, another actor that, that you share a lot of screen time with is Amber, um, who, yeah, yeah. who plays your girlfriend Jennifer. Um, wh- what kind of conversations do you have with both her and maybe Yona and Calvin in in crafting that type of relationship on camera—one who's so blindly, allegiant?
2: Oh, I think. Um, I mean, I don't know that we—we we never had a group discussion. Amber and I and and boys. Um, but Amber and I were—you know—she was working somewhere in Europe for the first you know week we were shooting. She got cast super last minute, so our. Our job became to try and build the foundations of this relationship because the only way that she can buy everything that Katie does for clients, anchor, is if she actually loves Katie that much. So our we just started, you know, texting back and forth and sending each other songs and trying to like build whatever kind of intimacy we could. Um, before she got here, and then we just really jumped into the deep end. And luckily, Amber is such an open, loving woman um, <laughs> that we were able to, I think, find some authentic connection. And um, you know when your first day is you know bed scenes, <laughs> you, you get to know somebody pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> well, you you know on that note, because there is you know some intimacy, see some fil- you know uh, physicality, some nudity. Um, what are those discussions like for you between actor and director, and, and how do you think those conversations and those scenes, ch- how they're treated has changed in, in the new you know, post-Me Too era that we find ourselves in? Yeah, um,
2: uh, yeah post-Me Too, I think we're in active Me Too still, but yes, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, you know, um, for me, I, personally as performer it's does this serve the story um what is the what is the point of this nudity um do i feel exploited in this nudity at all um uh, and do i do i trust the people i'm working with and um when it came to calvin and yona i i so trusted them to not be creeps about it and um And the way they approached it is very similar to how i approach it which is i like my favorite kind of nudity in films is um the everyday boring nudity like i remember there's this um this one scene i saw in transparent where um i think it's the character sarah she just gets up in the middle of the night and she makes herself a piece of toast but she's totally naked that to me is like the most beautiful representation so you know our i didn't find that our nudity was explicit in any way um and wasn't even you know i i think uh non-sexualized nudity is cool even though we were naked in bed together it wasn't you know raunchy um and so for me yeah it was just it comes down to a lot of a lot of trust and also you know inside of that story and and also how how they shot it um I didn't feel uncomfortable with anything that was going on. And they were really good, um, you know, as they are legally required to be with close sets and, <laughs> um, and making sure that there's as few people as possible. And everyone on the crew was incredible. Our, our boom op, Alex was like the most gentlemanly gentleman. He was just like staring at the ceiling the whole day, a true King. Um, <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, it's a big question that I sit with, but I, I think, I think it's a valid position to not want to, I could talk about this all day, to not want to do nudity. I totally get it, um, but for me, it's, it's really in service of the story. And also I'm, I don't know, I have a funny relationship to my corporeal form. I'm like, it's a body. And like the more we can just like calm down about that, um, I think that's better. And if we can shoot it, you know, less than, I mean, literally two male directors, but I don't think how we shot it was too, you know, male hazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's helpful.
0: <laughs> you know, Katie eventually gets in so deep that she can't really, she doesn't know how to get out. Um, but when crafting a story like this, have you thought about, why as a society we lie or why we feel the need to to not tell the truth all the time
2: yeah i think that that was a huge point of fascination for me coming into this um and has been a huge question that i carry having having left the piece now um yeah particularly in the social media age we live in how so much of what we do is inherently performative and um and how we're almost encouraged to craft these uh, false personas um, instead of just representing uh, who we are and joining each other in the weirdness of being a human. Because it's a crazy process. It's bananas that we're all <laughs> just let like down for this. Um, yeah, I think about that. I think about that a lot.
0: Uh, I, know, I know you grew up uh, as an actor in, in Vancouver uh, and I spent many years over there. Uh, you're in my two of my favorite shows, The Killing and Hannibal. Uh, hey. <laughs> but I, I, I do know that having worked in the industry out there, Vancouver's thing is sci-fi. It's sci-fi or fantasy that's, or whatever CW is producing and that's, that's all that it is. Um, being in, in those types of shows and, and getting to work on, on those types of sets, what did that teach you about the grind, the daily grind of being an actor?
2: Um, I think, I think so much of it is like, you got to do as much as you can for you when you have a second, um, and trust, trust that the, the well-oiled machine that is working around you will hold it. I think, um, it, I think it taught me so much about prep. It taught me so much also about letting go you know not getting hyper fixated um on uh, whatever perfect is in my brain or absolutely nailing like just sort of trusting and I think you know it, it was a training ground for indie film that I'm so grateful for because it's so fast everything moves super quickly um in tv and um And so, you know, when you have a tight shooting schedule and you only have the location for X amount of hours and and you're shooting film, you really gotta uh, do your best work in as little time as possible. Um, And so I think that that, that's what working so much in TV prepared prepared me for. Uh,
0: I know you received a CSA nomination uh, for this film, the Canadian Screen Awards, which did happen virtually this year. how how was that experience? You know, partaking in a in a award show virtually, and also what did it mean to get a nomination for a for a film not only you know set and filmed in your home country, but it was an award get, you know nominated by the people of Canada.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think recognition by one's peers is always deeply moving. Um, you know that we're uh, we're all. Uh, filmmakers or television makers or makers of whatever kind um, in a tiny little country, and so people people seeing what I did and digging it was really nice. It is it's not the motivating factor about why I do things, um, um, and you know when when it gets to the point of the award show, it's all of my work is done. Um, but it is it is nice to be recognized that way. I don't wanna I don't wanna minimize that. It was really um, quite special. And the, the process of watching the award show was wild. Like I, I threw on a fancy dress over my sweatpants, um, just because I felt like, I don't know, I, I like, what else am I going to do? I'm in the middle of, you know, self-isolation. I got this fancy dress sitting around. Why not? And then I, uh, absolutely got too hot in my apartment. Um, but I got to change halfway through the show, which, you know, only usually happens if you're very fancy. So, um, It was wild. And we got to, you know, we had a whole Zoom party with a bunch of folks who worked on the film and, you know, it was, it was great. And I think honestly, probably a a gentler kinder experience for my (laughs) anxious personage. Do
0: you like, do you find it difficult as some actors do to, you know, get out there and do promotional material or activities as yourself, like not as a character, but, you know, just as, as you, the, the performer, is it, is, is that an easy switch for you to make?
2: I mean, uh, that's an interesting question. Inside of this, <laughs> I think um, I think I'm. I always try to be as authentic as I can be, um, but uh, and I think because there's a, a focus on discussing the the work, it makes it a lot easier for me. Um, but there is still a, a performance energy that arrives when I. I have to do uh, press or promotion or whatever. It's just um, sort of <clears throat> part of part of how I engage in the process. But I think if we were sitting here, you know, talking about me, like as a human, it would it would be a wildly different experience. <laughs> uh,
0: speaking of of television, I know you just uh, had the first series of Fortunate Son uh, oh. air. Any word on whether you know if there's, there's going to be a season two yet or not?
2: No. No, we got the axe. went not a Damn. Yeah. I don't know. But what, them, lose them.
0: what? What was the uh, the CBC uh, TV experience? Because that that seems to be a bit different than network television, so to speak. Like at least American network television.
2: Yeah, I mean it's. Um, I mean, meat and potatoes is just kind of a smaller scale. Um, but my my experience in working for them, you know, while we were shooting, it was really really great um and i i think we we told a really interesting story that was really timely and um you know i'd always wanted to work for the cbc being a kid from canada it was uh was a nice uh, it was a nice thing to do
0: <laughs> what do you ultimately want to want people to take away from white lie when they see it
2: I want them to know that if the film has left them uncomfortable that that's uh that's an okay feeling to hold that's good for us actually to be uncomfortable sometimes um and i hope people i hope people think about um when and how and why they tell their own white lies you know obviously this is a a a huge a huge ruse but we all we all tell lies throughout our days throughout our lives. And I want people to think about uh, what the virtue in that is and what would happen if we uh, let go of that impulse.
0: Is, is having a bad or uncomfortable reaction better than having no reaction at all?
2: I mean, people are gonna react how they react, but uh, I mean, I'm just happy the movie makes somebody feel anything. So if somebody is feeling nothing, I'm like, okay, that's, that's your business. Um, but I think, I think being uncomfortable is a great reaction. I think sitting in discomfort and, and grappling with what the fuck is coming up, um, (laughs) and being confused and not knowing how to, what to do, um, is super, super valuable. I think in part of the lie, we've like the part of the lies that we tell ourselves and present to the world that we've we're always supposed to know exactly what's going on and have everything together and uh, you know, know exactly what to do in what situation uh, um, and to always be happy or you know, have one feeling at a time, um, which I don't think is uh, the authentic human experience. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of discomfort. I think some really good learning and loving comes out of discomfort.
0: And does it, do you find that it helps you as an actor being slightly uncomfortable?
2: I think it helps me as a human. And so, yes, it helps me as an actor. I think, you know, it's like kind of a corny line, but um, I used to say that the best acting class I ever took was therapy. Um, and I think that's really real. I think the more we can sit with ourselves and kind of get into the bits that are like, ooh, ooh, um, the more... I feel anyway. The more I avail myself to authentic work,
0: what do you think the industry is going to look like when we come out of this?
2: Wow. Yeah. I. I mean, I have no. What oh, is a cat? Sorry, I got distracted. Hi, <laughs> really cute cat. Um, <laughs> uh, what is it going to look like? I mean, I mean, just like on the ground, it's going to look super different just all spaced out and stuff i think you know i'm really curious about as as a person whose job is interesting um manufacturing that in a in a space where everybody's six feet apart and masked and not allowed to touch each other uh at all will be a really interesting challenge i'm trying to keep spinning that positively in my brain um that i'm i think it'll change the work and i'm curious in a positive way to see what happens, um, but of course there's fear around it, and um, I do think you know, in my own in my own heart, I feel this um, interesting pressure. I'm always quite picky with my with my products, but projects, but even now, it's like in in, in this era, it's like it's got to be it's got to be super worth it um, uh, in a in a different way than it used to be. Um, but you know things are going well. I'm hearing tell of things starting to cook here. My my dad who's a director is in prep and he's he's doing all right. He got the swab and he's distancing and he's scouting alone and you know he's they're making it work. So I'm I'm kind of just curious to see you know I think of other areas where there's been like like a a big global yeah, like a Unrest or or a global discomfort um, that everybody is tapped into, um, and the and the films and the art that has risen out of that. Um, I'm kind of trying to hold this era as maybe something like that. Like we're going to get some different different stories, and people are thinking really differently because we're hopefully really connecting to our neighbor in a way that maybe we've gotten away from, and and we've also been locked alone in our homes um you know if we're if we're not frontliners or or essential workers um making and thinking and doing these you know ugh, you know dipsy doodles in our brains so i'm uh am just i'm trying to stay open and curious and positive that's the short answer <laughs> uh,
0: well the film is white lie and uh, it is out now uh as of july the 21st casey roll thanks so much this has been great Thank you so much. Take care. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Well, that was my conversation with actress Casey Roll. Her new film, White Lie, is out now. That does it for me today. My thanks to Casey, and my thanks to Romula. My next show, we'll have one more show this week, will be post-human philosopher Francesca Ferrando. Uh, And the next week, you'll hear from authors Preston Ladderback and Jesse Thistle. That does it for me today. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.
1: I just like to have a lot of sex.